Welcome to the official Cell Talks podcast brought to you by the Conference on English Leadership, or CEL. CEL is a collaborative, dynamic, discussion-based forum for literacy leaders organized under the National Council of Teachers of English, also known as NCTE. Every year and in every episode, we honor conversations around text, speakers, and big ideas. We believe it's essential for leaders to maintain and move conversations. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you for subscribing and sharing our Cell Talks podcast. I am Josh Flores, your host for season one. Each episode was recorded live at the 2018 Cell Annual Conference in Houston, Texas, and features speakers, keynotes, and members of CEL, the Conference on English Leadership. We hope our conversations ignite and support conversations with your colleagues at your schools or wherever you may be listening to this. It's a great PLC tool if you want to introduce something different to your PLCs. I think it's a great support tool for that to start conversations that maybe you are already having or want to have. And uh, we hope that you find all sorts of unique ways to use these podcast episodes. It's chock full of information. I had a lot of fun uh, just talking shop about our profession with professionals this year and I look forward to continuing this podcast series. Speaking of sharing and continuing conversations, if you would like to know more about CEL, you can find us on the Twitter at at NCTE underscore CEL or you can search for the hashtag CellChat, C-E-L-C-H-A-T and you'll find our members using that hashtag and sharing and having conversations. You can also visit NCTE.org, the NCTE main page and uh, find us under the Groups tab. Here is where you can get all the information and get prepared for our 2019 Fall Conference. It's happening in November 24th through the 26th in Baltimore, Maryland. And get this, our theme this year creating opportunity, leadership to ignite movements and momentum. I'm excited. So, hope you enjoy that. And I hope you enjoyed this inaugural podcast episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and share with a teacher friend that you love. And give us some feedback. Keep the conversation going with us, too. Engage with us on the Twitter. So, thanks again. And enjoy this episode of Cell Talks. I'll try not to move back and forth. And no, your levels, levels are good. Levels look good right now. Cool. All right. So, welcome to the <laughs> inaugural cell podcast. I love it. Thanks for having me. So, would you mind introducing yourself? Give us a little background info. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Chris Bronke. I'm an English department chair at Downers Grove North High School, which is about 30 minutes outside of Chicago. Uh, in that role, I get to teach one class a day. Uh, and the class I teach is freshman honors. Uh, and then the rest of my day is pretty much full administrative work. So I'm the primary evaluator for the 22 teachers in the department, um, oversee any curriculum work, assessment work, uh, budgeting, scheduling, just just, you know, the whole the whole gamut of that stuff. I love it. You, you teach my favorite grade level. I, Freshman's the best. They really are. They, they have no idea what they're doing, and yeah. that's the best part about it. Did you choose that, or um, did you freshman? My, the year I took the job, uh-huh. um, the schedule for the following year had already been built. Um, and so it was just built with the, you know, my the person that I replaced kind of just left that as the class that was needed to be uh, taught by the department chair. And so I was like... Perfect, and I've just done it since. I haven't given it up. <laughs> Do you have a favorite freshman unit? Oh, and for me, um, the currently the unit that I think is my well, 
I don't know, I guess favorite, um, is the work that I'm doing around having them explore and then write about um, concepts like their identity and how privilege plays into that uh, that concept. What? That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's... Um, it's I was been, looking for, like, I like the Odyssey. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a guy that thinks of units in terms of books uh-huh. um, at all, uh, in fact. Okay. Um, I, I love books, uh, and we, we read books, but that's just not how I frame my class. And so for me, um, you know, this unit where... And I, and I teach in a predominantly um, upper to... Middle to upper middle class, um, fairly white suburban school. And so I think it's important that I'm doing um, some work to have them thinking about their identity first, but then thinking about the role that they're, uh, for most of them, that privilege has played uh, in that identity. So So correct me if I'm wrong, but like I saw what our... um uh, opening keynote this morning, they talked about positionality. Mm-hmm. I feel that's really close to privilege because uh, it's talking about what what power do you actually hold. Yeah. And so, like, why is this so important to you for your students to explore that? Yeah, I think it's important for. I think it's important my students explore it because I've seen how important it is that I explore it in my own life. Um, and so it's something that I definitely try to model and, and talk through. I use myself as an example um, as someone who pretty much has all of the power in society. Um, you know, I'm a white, um, straight, uh, Christian, able-bodied, educated male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there's other boxes that I could continue to uh-huh. check, you know. Um, and a good majority, not all, but a good majority of the students that I teach are are those or or are uh, females, so just one box less, uh, you know, than I am. And so I think it's important that um, they're, they're thinking about those things. Um, and I think it's a safe place for them to have those conversations. Um, and it's it's not something I push. Um, it is something that I try to teach as a... a as a concept and not a, not a fact. Mm-hmm. The idea, I mean, personally, I, I believe that privilege absolutely is a thing. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to at least present them with what's the counter to that, you know, that the argument out there is that, no, it's all just about hard work. And so we look at pieces that explore that as well. Um, and I let students ultimately make their own decision. The, the final writing piece for that is that... Um, it's kind of a combination of narrative and argument. I mean, I guess you could argue that all narrative is arguing, but that'd be a whole other podcast. So. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But, he, you know, what I have them do is I, I kind of steal the language from the AP language test where they have to agree, disagree, or qualify with the following statement. Um, and that statement is privilege has played a role in who I am today. Um, and so they're having to draw upon their own personal anecdotes and examples, um, but also then make reference to some of the text that will explore the course at Unich, which, uh, gosh, I mean, it includes uh, excerpts from Between the World and Me, uh, The Fire Next Time, A Raisin in the Sun we read, um, some essays by Sandra Cisneros, uh, Notes of a Native Daughter, which is a beautiful homage to James Baldwin, Notes of a Native Son. Um, we watch a, a, a video clip of ta Coates talking about the Chicago housing situation Ooh. and how that came to be, which is then beautifully paired because we were looking at A Raisin in the Sun, which is also looking at Chicago housing. Um, and just kind of uh, my attempt to explore expose uh, students to stuff that they probably won't be exposed to uh, just on their daily lives. Um, or if they will, it'll be through whatever news channel uh, right. is, is putting whatever slant on it. So, See, I find that's like such a tricky topic to explore, especially from the classroom perspective, because so many, I think, um, uh, for various reasons and the way it's perpetuated, there is a way you could explore your privilege and then leave that lesson 
feeling appreciative. <laughs> I think so many feel like they're being told they should feel bad yeah. about that privilege, right? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It is something that we, we definitely have to navigate. And I try to use personal anecdote maybe more in that unit than any other unit mm-hmm. um, because I am someone who, who, like I've said, you know, is extremely privileged. Um, and, and yet, while there are moments I do feel I don't know if feel bad about is the right word, but feel guilty about it. But I don't, it, that guilt is not driving my daily life. Um, hard work is still driving my daily life. And, and that's what I try to get the students to kind of see that these are not um, and or, uh, or, or one or the other sorts of things, right? You're not, mm-hmm. it's not that you're privileged or you work hard. Um, you can be both and you can be neither, quite frankly. Um, and, and trying to have those just real honest conversations. And, and um, that's interesting because you're taking responsibility essentially for it. And you're like using that to Educate, really yeah, be helpful. Right? The, the, the most tangible example that I give them that that really works for them is that um, my best friend uh, growing up, he came from a, a wealthier household than I. So this was a case where I actually didn't have the same privilege that he did. Um, and it's, it's a really lame example in the grand scheme of like what we're trying to think about with privilege. But as a real tangible way for them to understand it, I say that you know his parents paid for all of his college. Um, my parents paid for none of my college. And so we and I, we went to college together, and I we both worked extremely hard. But I, nothing. No matter how hard I worked at college, nothing was going to change the fact that I was going to come out and start my adult life, hundred thousand dollars in debt, and he wasn't. He had a, he had that privilege, um, and they're like, oh, okay. You know, that, that, again, that's uh-huh. not a very, like, philosophical example or, like, super deep, um, but as a tangible way to get the kids to sort of see, like, literally what this uh-huh. can be. They're like, oh, okay. And then kids start having conversations right away where, you know, some, some of my freshmen already know if their parents are or are not going to be able to pay for college for them. Uh-huh. So, like, it right away starts that conversation. Like, well, well I, I felt like I have a lot of privilege, but my parents aren't paying for college. I'm like, well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, let's, <laughs> you do still have privilege. Let's think about where you live and the cell phone that you have in your hands right now, you know, and all those sorts of things. So, Well, that, that sounds like an awesome lesson. I'd love it's, to see it, how you navigate that. It's a lot of fun. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, exposure. I think that's the key right. word I took away from that. Yeah, absolutely. But you, but you mentioned you just teach one class, and so you mm-hmm. also have these administrative uh, not privileges, <laughs> well, yeah. responsibilities or privileges. Well, you know, but uh, I mean, and I know that you, you didn't mean it, but uh, they are in some respect just more, mm-hmm. more privilege slash power, right? If we're, you know, thinking about the, mm-hmm. the construct of, of power, um, you know, I have all of these societal boxes checked and my actual job is literally a position of power, right? You know, and so I think mm-hmm. that's, it is interesting that you, you know, kind of have that slip there. But because well, th- uh, the way I'm thinking about it is uh, I'm wondering was it strange for you and like did your relationships with your coworkers did it take like a, a little bit of a dip when you went over to what they call the dark side mm-hmm. so i was lucky enough that i was hired new to that school okay uh, so i didn't I, I actually there's two high schools in the district and mm-hmm. so i had i taught at other places first but i uh, we have downers north and downers south and i taught at downers south for one year before becoming department chair at downers north um, which was actually like the most perfect way to do it because it gave me a year to understand 
how the English departments run, what are like sort of the the, the, the norms, the, the common assessments, the classes we offer, mm -hmm. like all of those sorts of things, all of the district level expectations, but not form those relationships with the, the teachers at North where I was about to go lead to where it would be like, oh, this was like colleague friend Chris, and now it's, you know, boss Chris. Like it was just yeah. this perfect combination of like essentially like a year long acclimation to essentially what was then going to be the new job. And so um, that I think was, I, I think I had more success in year one than I would have expected or maybe than a true external candidate would have because I had the best of both worlds. I didn't have to navigate a change in relationship with the department, but I knew all of the ins and outs of the district. So it was, it was, it was literally couldn't have been any better. So, well, that makes me switch up my thinking then. Yeah. So I think it's really hard when uh, someone steps into new leadership position, like they want to like do what's best. And then sometimes the thing that I think they think is what's best mm -hmm. is to really do something outstanding to make an impact. So they start making these changes haphazardly very quickly that could be good, but um, don't take enough time to understand what's already going on that's right. good. So what advice would you give new leaders like stepping into these positions? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're hitting the nail right in the head. I think one of the pieces of advice would be, you know, to take your time. Um, I'm in my seventh year in this job now. Um, didn't really do... Uh, that's gonna say I didn't really do a whole lot in my first year, but I mean I did a lot. I just didn't do anything in terms of trying to push for change, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's been a theme at the convention already so far this year, right? That sustained change takes sustained culture, um, and so I knew that my first job had to be to a figure out what the current culture was b see if that need any adjustment tweaking supporting whatever um so that that was in place so then that the change could start to come so i think that that would definitely be one thing The i've uh, in my role i've mentored a couple of new department chairs in our district i've also mentored some department chairs and, and new uh, leaders um as part of the emerging leader fellowship program and uh, the the my go-to piece of advice for new leaders, and it's not the most pleasant of, of advices, mm -hmm. but it's um, don't worry, things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, and I, I know that's not like uplifting, yeah. Um, but I think it's really true, and I think it's important to be honest with new leaders that they're aware of that, right? When they when they've had a pretty bad day, like they don't want to hear that it's still going to get worse. But like I think knowing that it takes a while to get to the point where things are getting better, it, it just it just there's value in being realistic, I think. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not there to support them along the way and through it all, right? But, yeah. like, like ultimately, like, hey, yeah, I know you feel bad about this right now or you're struggling with this right now. There are going to be bigger, harder challenges and struggles and failures that you're going to have. Keep that in mind and just keep working hard. So what's a notable change that you've been able to implement in your seven years? Yeah, yeah. seven years. Gosh. Um, I, well, I've been through, from a district standpoint, I got hired right as our state was changing the evaluation process, so I was through that change. Um, I was uh, right there the first year that the district uh, was sort of uh, starting to unwrap and do work with the Common Core Standards. Oh, um, those, so are fun those were two big ones. Super fun, yeah. Um, I've been there through the switch to going one-to-one -one, uh, with uh, laptops. That's um, kind of exciting, though. So a lot of things... I think, you know, unfortunately, what's been um, a little frustrating, and this is something that now I can finally focus on, is uh, uh, most of the change I've been a part of has been more district slash like bigger picture systemic and not like this is my vision 
and I want to work with the teachers and department to push that because yeah. we just haven't had the time, right? When you think about just those those three or four things I just named, I mean, there's a lot of time that's spent on all of that work, and it's good, and I'm proud of the work. Um, but finally, I think we're at a point where we've navigated all the different state mandates and this and that, and we're in a spot where, like, in year seven, you know, going back to your your thing earlier about taking your time, mm -hmm. where I'm finally getting to start to, like, sit down and have, like, real conversations about, like, what does our writing curriculum look like, essentially, from, you know, 9 through 12? Like, what, what are we having students do with writing, um, which is, to me, my, my bigger passion. Um, I think that sometimes that gets overlooked in the conversation about um, finding, you know, new, contemporary, diverse books, which I think is super important. Important, but I think in that we're, we're, I don't know if we're losing sight of or if we're just not focusing as much on like, are we doing diverse writing as well? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what we're slowly starting to work on this year, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I would love to work on writing curriculum. That's yeah, one of my it's, favorites. It's just a blast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a particular like writing activity? Oh, man. Um, my favorite uh, like activity to get kids to think about their own language mm -hmm. is I have them. Uh, just to start writing a story, whatever comes to mind. So like uh -huh. if you're lost, like just start with I'm writing down or walking down the street. And so they're, they're walking, walking, walking. And every 30 seconds or so I yell out something that has like, that happens. And so they're writing and then all of a sudden I might yell out, um, a bird just flew by your face. And then what? that might change or might not change uh -huh. what they're writing. And I do that for about four to five minutes. And every 30 seconds, something new is coming out. I'm like, oh, you heard a, a car horn, right? You're just like all of these different things. <laughs> and then when they finish, they trade papers with another student. Mm -hmm. And only changing the verbs, they have to change the entire uh, mood or tone of the piece. Um, and so it really, I think oftentimes... Only we, changing the verbs. Yeah. So I think oftentimes we, we, young writers and or writing instructors, we focus on use of adjectives and adverbs to try and, you know, adjust or enhance a piece. And I think we overlook the importance of the verbs themselves. Yeah. Um, and so then the, their partner would go through and, like, put, put a strike through so that the, the original word is still seeable. Uh -huh. uh, but then, like, right above it, what they would change the verb to. And then, and then they they talk about the what the new piece is compared to the old piece so it's just it's a fun it's not you know it's not graded or anything like that it's just a it's what writers do they practice you know hey that's so. a good grammar lesson right there it, yeah it's authentic perfect. writing right, right. absolutely right down to the word choice and yep. you can talk about diction analysis yep. and syntax yeah. that's awesome yeah. and that's that's I like to have fun uh, that as sounds much as like can. some dungeons and dragons inspired writing it kind of is and some in the stuff that you get and you it's roll also a dice and be like, like ah you just got right, like now you got to go though. this way right <laughs> and it, you know it is fun too because the kids they don't get to do that very often Often, right, uh -huh. uh, either write without a rubric or a prompt or a to analysis, a right, and it's just like, just write, just go have fun with it, um, when they share, they have fun, and it's amazing, like on that day, or days where I do similar lessons to that, how many students want to read their stuff aloud to the class, where if I were to say, like, all right, you know, you guys had a lit analysis piece today, like, who wants to read theirs aloud to the class, and it's like, I mean, no, no student really wants to do that, right? Because, A, they didn't like writing it. B, they're not proud of it because they didn't like writing it. And uh -huh. C, most of them are never going to write lit analysis again once they leave high school. So it's like, meh, you know. What would you present today? Um, well, I'm actually, it's, it's coming up, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm doing the, the last uh, Ignite talk today. Uh -huh. um, and I'm going to be sharing how I have completely redefined my classroom this year. Um, it is uh, no homework, uh, standards-based grading, blended learning, no due dates. Uh, it's virtually team taught. Um, it's just this wild, crazy thing that's going on. <laughs> okay, so I'm really interested in that standards-based grading because yeah. I've had to implement it in a 
pre-K through grade 12. Okay. It's really hard. It is. And like, I, th- I don't, I, I still am not sure. I'm not, com- I haven't convinced myself, even though yeah. I put a lot of work into it. Yeah. I don't, I'm not convinced that I uh, like it yet, especially f- specifically for English language arts classrooms. Yeah, I think, and I, I'm only about a semester in, um, and I've thought about doing it many times before and didn't. And I think the, the, the hang up for me in the past and why I'm liking it now is I think we, we just have, we're trying to assess too many standards when we go to standards based grading. Exactly. Um, and I have the luxury because it's not, it's not a move that my entire district made or anything like that. I essentially got to just pick my standards. Um, and so we have eight standards. Um, it, they, I try to think of all of them right now, but it's, um, um, control of language, use of dif- discipline-specific vocabulary, uh, claim writing, evidence selection, analysis, navigating counterclaims, um, organization, and storytelling. So just those eight things. And storytelling. Got to have storytelling. That's have one to. of your standards. Have to have storytelling. Yeah. Okay. That's, that would be a non- I mean, it doesn't have to be called that, but I think for me that's just a non-negotiable. If we're going to be in an English class, we have to have kids learning, knowing how to tell stories. And I forget, you know, was it one of the keynotes... Well, Newkirk spoke Newkirk, about it. Yes, exactly. Right. That yeah, that's that's how we everything we know is because of story, and um, mm-hmm. and it's it's just lost right now. That's kind of goes back to what I was saying with the writing piece that I think we need to focus on what we're asking kids to write, and mm-hmm. you know the ways that you know English teachers all the time like God, I'm just if I read another paper that starts with Have you ever thought about and then like fill in the blank about what the paper is going <laughs> to be about, right? I'm like, well, have you done any time like telling your kids how to tell a story? Because that's a really useful opening technique in an mm-hmm. argumentative piece. I'm like, well, no. It's like, well, okay, you know. Um, so storytelling is definitely, you know, a part of that, and um, and it's fun too. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah. Tom Newkirk actually, hit, I have a, quite a few books that have the research and the basis for why storytelling or narrative structure is so important, but his is my absolute favorite. Yeah. So I was really pumped to hear him uh, speak and meet him in person finally. Yeah, yeah, I was too. I mean, I think, you know, his work, he's not, I mean, I've, I've definitely read a lot of his work. He's not, um, he's not afraid to, to say what I mean, what I think a lot of us as a discipline sometimes are, and that's mm-hmm. things like narrative matters, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and I think, you know, it's in the common core if you needed a reason why, but I can guarantee, I shouldn't say guarantee, that's going to be a bold statement, but my hypothesis would be if you surveyed, let's just look at high school, if you surveyed 9 through 12, every high school around the country and asked them the amount of time they're spending on argumentative writing versus narrative writing, I don't think the results are going to be super pretty. Um, I don't know. Because it's not tested, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, that's obviously um, the, the the issue there. But um, how much better are students at at arguing if they can also tell story? You know, well, sure. Even uh, some other big names that were here at NCTE, Kittle and Gallagher were talking about. They did a workshop. I think it was with, it might have been with Bob Probst, and it okay. was focused on narrative. Oh, great. and they were shocked at how low the numbers were, yeah. and it was because when they just kind of surveyed the teachers, they said, well, a lot of teachers were not allowed to come because the districts wasn't going to spend money on teachers being professionally developed on the narrative structure because that's not what not is not what is tested. Yeah, I did hear that. That's right. They had low attendance at a workshop about narrative writing. Right. And that was the reason. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. Um, I'm not surprised at all. And I think that's part when, you know, you said, like, what, what's something that we're working on this year? Like, that's part of why... Um, 
we're going to be spending time in the department this year looking at like what what are the writing assignments kids are, are getting you know uh -huh. if we look at and not just in in in, in the disaggregates of 9 10 11 and 12 but in the aggregate what is the writing experience of a of a student at Downers Grove North High School for four straight years um, I think one of the things that can happen with curricular design is especially at the high school levels we tend to think about it as four separate yeah. curriculum or curricula to write as opposed to looking at what is the, the literary, literacy or, or writing or reading experience over the course of the four years. Um, and that, that can, I think, reveal some really interesting gaps. Um, and I know for sure that's one that we're going to work on um, is that we, we don't have a wide enough types of writing being offered to our students. And I would love to show you the structure I put up and like all the work I did to do standards-based grading because I bet you would have good critiques for me. I don't know. I'm, a, right. <laughs> I'm only a semester in, like, but yeah, I mean. What, well, what tools or what book did you use to help kind of guide your thinking to these eight? Just just my head and my experience, oh, okay. really. Yeah, I mean, so you based you know, it off of the students then. I did. You, you know what I've, they need and where are they? Yeah, at? so I've, I mean, I've taught freshman honors in this district for six years. Um, I've, I've taught freshman honors previously, and I felt like I had a pretty good sense of what they're doing. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I also thought about two, two driving questions. What do my students need to be able to do to have success next year? Uh -huh. And in 10 or 15 years, what do I hope my students can still do? Um, and those two kind of led me to those eight. Uh, we'll have two more for second semester because we'll have a research standard and we'll have a presentation standard. Um, but the other eight will be the same. Gotta so get those ticking and listening. In. Yeah, absolutely. And usually I would do that over the course of the entire year. But with uh -huh. some of the other changes I made, like it would take forever to explain kind of why. But it got to a spot where it'll be, you know, in the second semester. But That's a um, great idea. I never really thought about that. But, yeah, you could add yeah, As yeah, and, and the, the the eight from first semester will still carry into to second semester, uh -huh. and we'll just add two more. And probably good scaffolding. Um, it, it, I think so. And, and you know, what we've told the students too is that because ultimately I still have to report a grade. Uh -huh. um, you know, I'm still in a district where that's the case, and so they just know there's a conversion. It's like you know, you have to, if you meet all, and I'm just doing meet or not too. I don't even have like a still developing or or like a three two one. It's like oh, wow. you get a one if you met it, you get a zero if you didn't. So you're just tracking um, a lot of student samples. Tons of student. Yeah. So we've I've got this massive when I say I keep saying we, so I'm, my my uh, virtual team teacher is Christy Ennis, who's also a cell uh -huh. member, um, and we have this massive spreadsheet that across the top has the eight standards, then down the left has every student's name, um, and then we just like each cell just keeps getting bigger and bigger because it's all narrative data. It's you know every time we meet with the student and or look at their writing, we're adding something to that document and we're dating it so we can see the progression mm -hmm. of each and every standard for each kid by date over the course of the year. Um, and then what we're going to do is they'll get a grade at the end of the first semester because we have to, um, and then we'll have all of second semester and um, second semester will be the same standards but with a little bit more challenging material. Any student who, let's say for example, like you were in the class, Josh, and you, got, you mastered uh, seven of the eight standards during first semester, that would be a B. You get into second semester and you end up mastering all of them. We're going to give you the A for second semester. We're also going to go back and change your first semester grade to an A as well because you got there. That's all we care about. Um, and so the kids love that. They're like, so we really have like an entire year to just keep getting better at this stuff. I'm like, yeah. Um. I ran out of time. It goes fast, man. You know, I, it's like you said, you get to sell and you start to have these deep dive conversations. <laughs> it's like I, I have to do some follow-up conversations. Yeah, I don't know, but thank you. Awesome. I can't wait to see your Ignite session. Thank today. you. I appreciate it. Thanks All for having right. me on, too. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, take care of yourself, take care of your students, and take care of each other.